0: Anthony has a new book coming out, Unstuck, a life manual on how to be more creative, overcome your obstacles, and get shit done. Check out anthonymindelcom slash unstuck to sign up for updates, promotions, and enter to win a free signed book.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Mindel. Welcome to In The Moment, a podcast about acting, art, and life, and that tricky little thing we're all after but rarely find ourselves in the moment. In this series, I talk to all kinds of creatives and friends about the joys and the ah, heartache and challenges of acting, writing, producing, and getting out of our own ways to be the creative channels we all are. For more information, go to anthonymile.com and you can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Okay, I hope you enjoy.
0: On today's episode, Tony has insightful conversations about the human condition with artist, storyteller, strategist, and cancer survivor, Taryn Southern. They talk about moving forward in your journey and the importance of presence and mindfulness to overcome your fears.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of In The Moment Podcast, where we're always in the moment, <laughs> talking about all things wonderful and weird and scary and beautiful about life and love and acting, and creating, and art, and climate collapse, and social justice, and all kinds of amazing, powerful, and important topics, and I can't, uh, I'm so excited about my guest today because I can't think of somebody who's more uh, on point about so many things, uh, the overall holisticness of being uh, just a person, really. so I want to welcome, I don't know how to, I, I never have like a bio of my guests because I know everybody mostly, pretty much everybody I've worked with or taught or, so I'll just kind of doing it, you know, off the cuff, but I want everybody to welcome Taryn Southern. This is where we hit the applause button. Thank you. <laughs> and Taryn is, you. Taryn is a multi-hyphenate, an actor, a writer, content creator. You're kind of a tech genius, which I've always forgotten about, but you know a lot about everything in the tech world. You were a YouTuber phenom before YouTubers became what they are today. An OG. And right, you are an OG. Um, and you're an author. And maybe equally or more important than all of it is you're also a survivor of some really challenging moments in this past year because yeah. you have beaten cancer.
2: Yeah, crazy. One year in remission.
1: It's a year. Wow. So, Taryn, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to see you. I see your mala beads there.
1: I see your mala beads on the back there.
2: Yes, yes. Got to keep the meditation going all the time.
1: That's right. (laughs) Chanting and praying and putting out positive thoughts, you know what I mean? And that is not to be confused with toxic positivity, or spiritual mm. bypassing, which is a big thing that we can talk about that to me is like, like a that. big, it's a big problem, right? I'd love to
2: hear your thoughts but, on
1: that. um, Well, we'll just jump in. My thoughts on it have always been it's a way to not really um, ground into reality, accept reality. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's it's a, a perverted form of spiritualism. It's not really real. Mm. You know, I was, I was working with this girl the other day uh, in class and she was like, I could see she had all this feeling, but she couldn't express it. So it was like from the feeling part to the actual text, she was like totally robotic. And then afterwards I'm like, I'll make up a name. Well, it doesn't matter. Are you And nobody was going to know her. But I was like, Georgie, like, why are you not releasing what I see is going on for you. And she talked about how she's been taught, you know, in new age circles, like quote unquote, negative emotion is bad. And she's Mm. supposed to be really trying to be positive. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm." Okay. We have to, we have to like, what is my word? Paradigm shift this whole thing. Right. Because I tried to get her to understand like all feeling is really just feeling it's neutral except for the judgment we have about it. And it's actually more toxic when we don't allow ourselves to express it, move through it, feel it, communicate it. We Instead, we repress it and suppress it and withhold it. You know, we resent people because we have a, uh, we store it because I'm upset with you and I don't ever want to tell you. So instead I'm walking around with all of this rage. And so it's just really weird, Taryn, like this toxic positivity. I also think social media is a, is a great promoter of it that if you if you speak anything truthful about i'm a big climate justice activist Mm -hmm. and i've had people who've tell me you're being really negative i'm like no i'm not i'm actually a realist and i have Mm -hmm. great hope but to have hope in the face of oh look i'm gonna cry to have hope in the face of what we're facing is reality yeah I'm not going to look away from something that that's what's got us into this trouble. Mm-hmm. Looking away, not looking at something. If you are diagnosed with cancer, you're going to take the steps you have to do to face it as scary and as, as much as that's evoking out of you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You mm-hmm. have to face it. So there I went off on my tangent. But I
2: love it. I love it. It's all very well said. I haven't said. changed it's- a bit. I actually think that is the path if you, oh, you ha- I'm sure that you have evolved in many ways and I'm excited to, to hear about those. But um, I, I think that is the path of the spiritual warrior is like the, you know, finding that beautiful middle ground or footing in being able to productively express and move emotions through the body and also be able to sh- like paradigm shift into a different way of thinking when it's time. And um, I actually found that to be the big challenge while I was going through my treatment. It was like, how much of this is me sitting in a negative emotion versus Uh letting it move through my body, letting it move, and then changing the story. It's like our body knows what a feeling is and needs to express it. But our mind will just sit and wrap itself around a story over and over and over again unless we consciously shift that. So yeah, anyway, that's my little add-on.
1: Good point. (laughs) but Taryn I think you know I want to hear more I think but I think like I knew we would like get down and dirty right away <laughs> right into the because, philosophy because like, I've always respected your yeah because I've always respected your intelligence and your creativity and your insight but I wanted to just say something what you just said um um you know the story you're talking about the story I think mm-hmm. for me part of it like a lot of my education, especially this past year during, um, you know, the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, and, and also doing a deep dive in how so much of it is connected to not only white supremacy, but also in terms of, I think Western ideology is often based in entitlement, right? And oftentimes we live in a culture that tells us we can have anything and we can have everything, which we can, I guess, like, you know, you order something on Amazon and you get it in two days, right? But I think this form of belief that we are living in such a privileged time, which we are, so it's always a dichotomy, right? But that we are um, not susceptible to the vicissitudes of what it just means to be a human being living on this planet that's where I think we get into trouble. And I can't speak to your experience and I want to know more, but anytime I have a story around why is this happening to me or it shouldn't be happening to me, I'm like, "Um, okay, well, what if I were telling myself that 10,000 years ago when I was living on this planet and I didn't have the stimuli that I have now that's telling me it should be something else, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's we're we're distracted into believing that we can somehow skirt or uh, get out of our own humanity in some Mm -hmm. way
2: interesting I agree I I like that as a concept
1: well I mean because at some level we're all we're all facing our mortality every day right the moment we're born we're we're also dying we're just
2: walking around ignorant of it
1: that's right I think what's the the saying? We are the only like we know that we're all going to die, but we do everything we can every single day to like pretend that that's never going to happen. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. forget (laughs) exactly. So what? Go, go. Let's say it again.
2: To live in feigned ignorance.
1: Feigned ignorance. Yeah. So how did that? So tell us about your cancer journey. And I'm not. It's not all going to be about your cancer journey because I, like I said, you are a multi hyphenate, and I've always been inspired by that but I think because this is something that's obviously changed you what what do all these things how are these things uh how has cancer I guess changed you or changed your point of view about yourself in the world
2: yeah that's a great question maybe maybe it might be helpful for me to give a little bit of color yeah for Um, sure I was diagnosed exactly two years ago, actually. Oh, my God, this might be my two-year diagnosis anniversary today. I think it is. Is this the 24th?
1: Is it the 24th?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, two years ago. (laughs) So two years ago, I got my diagnosis, stage three breast cancer. Um, I had just finished premiering my documentary film that I'd worked for three years on as a director and producer at Tribeca, and so it was a very exciting time for me because I was I was, well, quite frankly, I was exhausted from that project and really looking forward to taking a break and kind of felt as though I'd pushed my body to the max in terms of the stress and what I was taking on. I was also working on an AI album at the time and like traveling around the world to perform, which was really exciting to be able to have those opportunities, but I was just wearing myself so thin. So in the weeks leading up to my diagnosis, I actually got very, very, very sick. And um, the cancer had already spread to my lymph nodes and my lymph nodes swelled up like golf balls. Um, and so that was, the, that was the sign that something was wrong. And, you know, I think what made that year of treatment so, so, I mean, such a punch to the gut was like, I actually lost pretty much everything in my life at that time. I, I lost um, a huge career opportunity that I had signed on to do um following Tribeca. And of course I couldn't do it because of the cancer diagnosis. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I ended up having it, going through a, a really devastating breakup with my then fiance. Um, I, uh, the COVID hit like as I was finishing treatment. So there was just, there was, there was like kind of, you know, one gut punch to an, to another, uh, that I, I felt like I had lost all footing. Um, just like everything being taken from me, I moved into a, a new home. This place that I'm in now, and a couple of weeks after I moved in, there was a burglary, and the burglars stole everything. Oh my god! <laughs> Literally everything. They they broke in through my kitchen window and went to town while I was away at a meditation retreat. So it was um, it was like a, a very interesting lesson from the universe in non attachment, like non attachment to any outcome, mm-hmm. living in like constant uncertainty um, professionally, personally with my health, which was obviously the most important. And I was just so lucky that about four months, five months into treatment, I was given the, the best news that one can get, which is, you know, they, they, after four months of chemo, they went in for surgery and couldn't find any, any residual cancer cells. So Yay. that was like momentous. Cause there was a, about a 50 50 shot that I'd have to continue on with chemo for at least another year. And I just thought, I don't know how I will be able to get through that. And honestly, it just made all the other things like getting that news, made everything else just feel like completely surmountable in a, in a way, you know, um, didn't, didn't mean that it wasn't challenging, but I had a a different relationship to my own hardship than I did Mm -hmm. in previous years it was like Mm -hmm. pretty hard to get me stressed out (laughs) Um, during that time, even though like I didn't have a job, my health was still, I was still going into the hospital every three weeks for treatment. You know, there, there was a lot going on, but I was, my relationship to those things was totally different.
1: Wow. Well, Taryn, there's like, oh my God, there's so many things to ask you about. Like, let me ask you first in terms of, like you were saying about the story about that through your process is that when you were recovering or when you first were diagnosed, were you finding yourself living in stories about like, why me or how did this happen? Or that was keeping you stuck at, tell me more about that.
2: That was a really interesting part of my diagnosis. Um, I kept trying on different stories for size. I mean, part of me was so stunned. I was like, this is so crazy. How do I have cancer? Like, I'm yeah. healthy. This is yeah. so weird. I'm 33 years old. Like, how, how is it possible that I have stage three? It's not even stage one. It's stage three. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> there was a part of me that <laughs> I actually couldn't stop laughing for the first three weeks of it. I was like, this uh-huh. is insane. Like, someone is playing a really weird practical joke on me. And um, And so, you know, I found myself trying on different stories. When I was getting through... I'd say the second half of chemotherapy and I was starting to really get weak. And I was, I dropped to below hundred pounds. I'm five, seven. So my doctors were oh. super worried about cachexia, which is like a state of the body where it starts eating the muscles because it's not getting enough fuel. And it's a really, you don't want it. Um, Cause once it starts, it's really hard to get out of that cycle. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just weak and uh, quite honestly depressed. I mean, the chemo affects your brain like you're just not the same person. And that was when I found it really hard to, to find productive stories. Um, that was like when I found it really easy to be like, this sucks, why me? Everyone who's telling me that this happens for a reason can, can go screw oh, themselves. Em. Yeah, thank you. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to uh, oh, uh, <laughs> say that. Oh, yeah. But <gasps> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone that's like, oh, they, you know, you, you can't see it now. But at the end of this, there's going to be this beautiful light around the tunnel. And you're like, yeah, if I don't die. Yes, that's true. That's right. true. And and then there's right. like the other the other people that don't make it. And and so there there is like a, a, a you know, a path here that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me. Um but I, yeah, I tried on a lot of different stories. I think the one that felt at least most authentic for me while I was in treatment was a little bit of a nihilistic approach, like a like a dark com- comedy. Um, like I would get, I would actually watch a lot of stand up, and I loved watching stand up around death. Um, for some reason, watching people tell jokes, a, a, like really witty you know, really witty monologues about this crazy thing that we all go through of like ignoring our own impending mortality. Mm-hmm. It, um, it captured the cosmic joke of life. And for me, it was the only thing that made sense. I was like, this, this is the only thing that brings lightness to my experience is to just say, you know what I am? I'm going through this like really weird, shitty, but unique human experience. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll have a good story at the end of it, or I, or I won't because well, I'll you be won't. <laughs> And I Either just, way,
1: it's a story
2: It's a story and I'm going to do the yeah. best I can to treat my body Well and to keep my emotional Space like in a loving good place Because that's what's going to be best for me Biologically and physically yeah. But I'm also not going to um, Tell myself I I can't like pretend that this is all just some big blessing right now. (laughs) And that, and that that worked for me. That worked quite well for me. And then of course, like as I made it through and then I got good news after good news, after good news, it was like, the blessing becomes very clear, but I had, I I couldn't like, I couldn't make that up for myself.
1: I I mean, I think it's like, and I haven't ever gone through anything like what you've overcome. So, uh, you know, it's, but I do think I was, talking a little bit about during COVID and I I gave a lot of lectures on this, this desire for humanity, this need to create a reason why something has happened, Mm -hmm. explaining it away because, and I get it at some level, because to face, like you said, uh, I'm always joking that uh, to me, it's amazing like that anything is really functioning because if we forget, we're living in the middle of a chunk of earth of rock in the middle of dark matter spinning in you know outer space it's insane to me you know and but but we we're and I, I do this as well we're so caught up in the physical like the target I go to the I always joke on the pick on the target I should pick something else we go to Macy's and we think it's a real thing and I guess it is real in terms of brick and mortar but but once I'm gone, in a hundred years from now, is Macy still going to be around? It's so right. when you start to have a little bit more perspective about existence, I I, I find like human beings are always we're meaning making machines, and I think that's yeah. what creates a beautiful life, right? Like trying to find meaning through art and through feelings and sharing and connection is is the reason why we're here. But I don't, I don't, I think that's been co-opted to sometimes be these platitudes of like, well, that happened because you're going to meet your boyfriend in the cancer ward mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? Right. right. Or other, right. other ways that we explain the way because it's too scary to look at. Well, maybe it's not, maybe, yeah. maybe it's all those things and also other things as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know? no, I, I totally agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the meaning making, the desire to create meaning is such an inherently human thing, but it, that's not necessarily how things work in the natural world. And right. so I'm a big fan of Sam Harris and, and his meditation app. And so I, you know, I, I do a lot of those meditations and um, I don't know, I, I find it strangely comforting in some ways that the, that the world you know, often operates without, without meaning associated to it. Um, but I understand the need and the importance for humans to craft meaning, and especially when it when it can be productive and helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to rob anyone of that experience.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, everybody is just like coping as best they can with whatever they have, right? You know. Yeah. I do find, you know, in the other extreme, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, at our London school, and uh, we were just talking about mutual friend we have who's kind of gone to the other side, who believes like. COVID isn't real, mm-hmm. like everything that's happening in India, let's say like all the funeral pyres, it's all like a, um, what do you call it? Like a, a show, like it's a presentation. It's all like media. It's not really real. And, and I, I you know, I think when we start to see people who dwell in that kind of unreality, it's because mm-hmm when their worldview has been turned upside down, which can also happen to somebody who gets cancer or somebody loses a loved one, or I get it. Mm-hmm. I, at one level, I don't have a judgment about it because I think this, this person, lots of people like that come up with an alternate theory or an alternate reality because to face reality when it's turned upside down really throws everything that they believed, all belief systems start to short circuit. So mm-hmm. you have to immediately come in and triage and and fix that which is broken, so that you can continue on with life. You know what I mean? So at some level, I don't fault like the 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 crazy extreme conspiracy theorists because they're driven by fear of a world order that's kind of fallen apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. It's I think when we start to humanize it, Taryn. My point is is like you start to see like ah, uh, and I'm not again. I'm not also excusing like horrible destructive behavior and and really toxic uh, you know theories that hurt people by sharing misinformation but but I also can see the humanity of why people are driven to do that you know
2: yeah and being able to understand that nuance I think is probably the cri- the, the critical skill <laughs> of the 21st century
1: yeah. It's really interesting times, isn't it?
2: It is. We're holding space for a lot of ideas.
1: Oh, my God.
2: I know. <laughs>
1: you know, I guess like all these ideas used to be floated around probably in the medieval ages as well, right? Like, oh, if you could float in the water, you were a witch, so I would burn you at the stake, right? Yeah. And but, but, but that theory did not get shared all around the world. It just stayed in my little village. Now- right. <laughs> I can get on Instagram and post and there's no penalty for spreading misinformation that Taryn is a witch because she can float in the water. You know right. what I mean? It's insane when you think about it. So wild. Yeah, it's really wild. So I think it also, again, I, for me, I, I've really been uh, doing a deeper dive in history lately. And like, anthropology my boyfriend is like you should get your PhD in anthropology I was like are you crazy like, oh my god. that's so fun but
2: I was an anthropology major you were see I this was. is why
1: oh my god this is why I knew we were gonna have like,
2: <laughs> like the
1: best, best ever because because it's it helps I think the past helps us to center where we are right now
2: mm-hmm.
1: with an understanding of the past right yeah. it, it gives you context a yes. little bit you know what yes. i mean we need it and like you also like you also said like the cosmic joke of it all like when you have space and perspective to see all that's come before and that all that will come after you know okay so what will it's be so true we're, be.
2: We're, we're both attracted to anthropology for the same reasons that provides that space and that perspective. And, um, I could see you being an anthropologist.
1: Oh my God, Taryn, I read this amazing book, uh, this summer, uh, called, um, Kindred.
2: Uh Uh-huh.
1: And it's all about our Neanderthal, uh, forefathers and mothers and like, uh, you know, really dispels a lot of the myths that Neanderthals were uncouth and brutish and they're actually quite sophisticated and artistic and Mm. uh, family oriented. And to me, I think they represented the real truth of being journeymen and women, because unlike today, where we're so uh, stuck with home, and I get it, it equals safety and security. They had no home. It Mm -hmm. used to be believed that they would live in caves, but they actually, they'd only like, Hang out in a cave, like overnight, or when they had to do major skills or skin like a, a big woolly mammoth, but then they would move on because they were always moving on with nature, with weather, with animals, right. with migrations i'm like uh, i 'm so sorry i 'm going to start crying again. I find that to be so powerful because uh, as human beings, we 're journeymen and women, mm-hmm. so cancer is awful i wouldn 't wish that on anybody. And that's been part of your journey. You know what I mean? And you keep moving forward. We're not staying stuck in one place. And I think, I also think that the fear of things becoming what they need to become next is what is creating so much havoc in our world because we're so scared of change.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And yet it's in our DNA. Yeah. So It's a great book. Kindred. Kindred. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice. And hopefully book the fucking job.
0: Enjoying In The Moment? Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Anthony Mindel and at AMAW Studios. Plus all the worldwide accounts near you for updates.
1: So tell me, okay, my gosh, I like we could do a two hour podcast. I like, I'm always looking at the clock and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm I already have so much to say to Taryn and I want to hear so much. Okay. So let's catch up a little bit. Let's go back, rewind even more. So gosh, when I was working with you, is that like 10 years ago now?
2: Probably 10 wow. to 12 yes. years ago. Jesus. <laughs> so even back
1: then, you were doing a lot of great stuff. You were working a lot. You were booking big shows. You had a great career. You were testing for stuff. Like, you were You were doing amazing work in class. Mm. Like, I always was like, it's just a matter of time, which it was. But you also had your own YouTube uh, channel. Yeah. You were... so, and then I tell mean, us how all of this, like, morphed into other things.
2: It's so funny thinking back on that period of my life. And now I've had so much time away from it that I probably hold a different perspective than what I held during it but I I always had a very complicated relationship with acting or at least the business of acting and so you need that um and I think the part that I didn't really understand then that I do now is just how how um prohibitive and crippling my anxiety was Mm.
0: around
2: around performing being in front of people I didn't I didn't dive into that. Um, I didn't have the tools to deal with that that I have now.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
2: not to say that I would have been able to snap my fingers and make it all go away, but it is really interesting that I spent so much time trying to um, improve my acting and improve like, my knowledge of the business of acting and spent so little time trying to address like the biggest root problem, which was this terrible, crippling anxiety which got so bad while I was working on sets, you know, that it was just it was like taking a huge toll on my health. And so um and the and the constant uncertainty of the business, I think I was I just right. wasn't, uh, I wasn't good at dealing with the mental health aspects of being an actor. And you're right, yeah, and I was uh-huh. actually in a good position. I was working, I was like doing things and I still was just uh felt felt almost um handcuffed to this like anxious state of being. And it wasn't until I started a YouTube channel and started sort of what felt like me taking control that that anxiety started to subside. And so I started listening Uh to that voice. And I mean, I ultimately after after two years of doing the YouTube thing and I was still working a bit in TV and I decided to just cold turkey, stop all acting completely Mm. and focus on my Mm. YouTube channel, focus on producing and, and writing. And production and I never looked back. It's so weird. I mean, it was just like such a, a knee-jerk reaction. And and truthfully, I was much happier because I was yeah. no longer the thing that was causing me all this stress, was no longer part of my life. And I would tell all my friends who were actors who were unhappy, I'm like, stop acting. <laughs> if you don't, if you're unhappy all the time, don't do it. What I didn't consider was that, you know, there was maybe another path, at least for me, to to attack my anxiety and some of my underlying. Uh, mental health issues around it differently and that there was a huge opportunity there for me that I didn't really take to address this thing Um, that's popped up in other little ways right in other in my Mm -hmm. in my more recent career exploits but but yeah I mean all things considered like it's been gosh seven years since I've since I've been on a tv set um and I have I have done I basically focused on youtube for a few years and then five years ago decided that I was exhausted with that hamster wheel and yeah. that I wanted That's a to, lot. It was a lot. I was creating a ton of content. I was also creating content for companies and brands and I had a small, small production company, but it was just, it, it was a lot. And then, um, and then I decided to explore emerging technologies. And if I could take my storytelling skills that I'd learned in digital media and film and television and use that to help these companies tell better stories about Mm. the technologies that they were building. Because I'm fascinated by everything that's happening in neurotech, AI, uh, synthetic biology. I just geek out on all of that stuff. But I'm like, ooh, if you make a scientist or an engineer tell a story, for the most part they just don't they're not doing a very good job and the stories that we tell about these technologies are actually really important because that's what that's what fuels um the direction and how they're built and how they're adopted and if if all we have are black mirror stories about these things Mm. we're gonna like just create more of that and and we Mm. have to have like imaginations that can build upon these things and build something more like beautiful and optimistic and so that's just been, what's really excited me. So I've kind of been working, um, it's been a weird career transition, but I work with technology companies, essentially building their story strategy and and, um, marketing strategy. And sometimes that takes the form of digital campaigns. Sometimes that's documentaries, sometimes that's creating TV shows and putting the right partners into place. So it's kind of been a consortium of things. But in wow. this really weird, weird area of focus.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, let me, I want to hear more about that and where that's heading. But before, so let me ask you, so what, when you realized in hindsight, some of the anxiety issues and, and mental health issues, like what did you, like, can you talk about what they were and how you sought assistance and help and figured yeah. out what some, where some of it came from?
2: I mean, I think so much of it was unconscious as a young adult when, at least for me going to school at 18 and then I graduated early. I moved out to LA when I was 20, almost 21 and having not known any different than my parents growing up Mm -hmm. in Wichita, Kansas. And, and like, that's the only model I had for what adulthood looks like. And my parents had been in the same jobs for 20 plus years. Um, doing something crazy, like going to LA and pursuing a job where there is no clear ladder and there Mm -hmm. is no model. I think Mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, my anxiety is par for the course. Like, of course this is, you know, of course this is going to stoke some, some issues, but I also just assumed like everyone probably is feeling this way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a lot of talk amidst my Um, my friends also in entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, My peers that were also experiencing a lot of that. So it just sort of felt like, oh, this is a thing we have to accept. And it's interesting. I just don't think there were the mental health conversations were as robust 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, And so I was aware of it. I I actually saw my first therapist when I was 2021 and you know, they immediately prescribed me Xanax because that's what you do for someone with anxiety, but there was so little, I don't remember them ever telling me breathing exercises or how to actually trick my vagus nerve into calming down by doing certain Mm -hmm. types of breath work and exercise and like how that works physiologically in the body. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't learn all of these, these little tricks until much, much, much later, when I came into the mental mental health uh, sort of self-development space by way of a breakup. And that, that was like six years ago, seven years ago, it was a six years ago, really tough breakup that, 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 got me learning all of these things that I hadn't learned that I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I could have applied that all of these tools to when I was pursuing an acting career or, you know, a more what, what like a, a career of uncertainty. Um, mm. Certainly. Oh my gosh. Meditation. My, my whole philosophy of non-attachment, like all of these things would have been so valuable for me, but oh well.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> <feel like> also <laughs> Yeah, well, we attain those skills by living life and then realizing, like, that's not quite it, right? Like, it's yeah. all it's all hit and misses throughout yeah. the journey, I think, right? It's all, like, polishing the stone, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I also think, Taryn, like, for me, what just popped out, too, is, like, it's also fascinating. I started thinking about, like, to be a, a young woman in Hollywood at 21 or 19. And, you know, I teach a lot of young people and, like, it's like, whoa, it's a lot for somebody at that age to be processing all the expectations and pressures. And then also the the male gaze or like just all of it. I think especially for women, right? And I can't speak for the women's experience because I'm not a woman, but like, but I think there is a lot of, and that has, I think that leads to a lot of anxiety and depression and and people hating the business, but wanting to be artists. You know what I mean? Because of the business.
2: Yeah. The yeah. Business. Right. A hundred percent. And it is a, an incredibly tough business as you know, as we all yeah. know. So there's not, no, Way around that, and it's possible that I, even with all my tools now, if I were to jump back into something like that, that it would just still wreak havoc on my system. I have no, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it kind of does still. I mean, because it's maddening, you know what I mean. But I think Shakespeare, Shakespeare was warring against the like the art versus the commerce aspect of it, and Mm -hmm. like, why did the bankers get to decide what is of artistic merit and what isn't? You know, I think a lot of those. I know that for me, those are things that I find myself really really challenging and I'm butting my head up against. And then I'll read something like, oh, well, Francis Ford Coppola, after he made The Godfather, threw his Oscar out the window. Literally, this is a true story because he couldn't get Apocalypse Now made. And it just goes to show you it doesn't matter really what level you're Uh at in your career, right? You're still facing... an institutionalized framework that is built on money and saying no, if, if saying no, the value isn't based on money. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, they don't have a crystal ball. Nobody has a crystal ball to say, oh yeah, that's going to work. Although they think they do by regimenting the same kind of formulaic stuff over and over again that they think is a sure hit, which we know never works. Like the whole thing is like, just it just feels like one of these days, somebody's going to get it and be like, uh, let's, can we just start all over again? <laughs> because this model yeah. doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of like um, in the corporate space, there's a new, um, uh, oh God, I think it's called B Corp. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know about this, but like Ben and Jerry's is and forgive me listeners if, if it's if I'm not saying the right acronym, if it's not the letter B, but I do think I don't I'm a, a terrible podcast host because I don't have notes in front of me. I just wing it and I'm always like in the moment. I love it. But I think it's I think it's B as in boy, B Corp and B Corporations. Ben and Jerry's is one of them, Warbly mm-hmm. Parker is another one of them. This is amazing, Taryn, where their mandate is not to their shareholders. Their mandate is purposefully driven uh, commerce, yep. so 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 Ben and Jerry's can talk about Black Lives Matter and social justice on their advertising, and they don't have to sell ten billion pints of ice cream and make all the shareholders happy, right? I.e., capitalism because their revenues are growing every year. I so there are more and more corporations that are becoming more B Corp, which. I, I don't know why I got on this subject, but I guess, well, because it's oh, about, we have to restructure things.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: We we really have to, I think, everything needs to, like, collapse at some level for it to be reconfigured. You know what I mean?
2: Do you think COVID will, will have done some of that? No. no. I
1: was... Not that anybody wants something like this to happen, although in the zoonotics world, in terms of climate collapse, this is the beginning, I think, of, I think, where we're heading. It's going to become more commonplace. And I mean, if you think about SARS and you think about West Nile and you think about other iterations of it, that we were lucky it didn't turn into a COVID situation, but many people lost their lives, we've seen the writing on the wall as Mm -hmm. much as, as... you know, crazy conspiracists think Bill Bill Gates is trying to put microchips in our arms because of the vaccines. He has been on the front lines about uh, in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, seeing on people being affected by uh, viral viral explosions and they're not having vaccines for. It. So he's seen mm-hmm. it and talked about it coming years ago, right? So yeah. I think for me, COVID maybe was a re like a pause, but what I've been finding being out in the world again, everybody's just like, I can't wait to get back to normal. And mm-hmm. so it's like, not only do we, they want to go back to the way it was, but they're also forgetting sort of the, I don't know, the, the mental health aspect of what we live through and not, I think registering that that also has affected us as a cohort moving out into the world. I don't want things to go back to normal. I don't want to have those same conversations. I want to talk about how is it to be re-emerging in a new world? Yeah. The new normal or the old normal is what got us into where we are anyway. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I I feel like it's always about the blessing is in the breakdown, but if you don't learn the lesson in the breakdown, you're just going to just keep repeat repeating the it. same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know, it's kind of, you know, and, and I don't think we're done with COVID. You know, we we may be in a good patch right now, but I'm sorry, if you look at other parts of the world, not so good.
2: Not in a great spot. Yeah. You know? Totally.
1: So tell how does me- it okay. I'm
2: curious. I was going to ask you, how has how the whole thing impacted the mental health of the young people that you work with? and and And, just, and also just generally, like- not just COVID, but the kind of political environment that we've been in for the past few years and everything that's been going on. How would you compare the mental health of your students now to those from five or 10 years ago? What's...
1: Yeah, it's changed a lot, Taryn. It really really has changed. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, at one level, like you said, you know, maybe the um, resources weren't available, or the language or the conversation wasn't available to certain to people. At, you know, those ten years ago about mental health, or and I think we, it's more commonplace. But I think what I find that's interesting is mm, I'm not, I'm still not sure a lot of people still create agency in their life to do what Mm -hmm. they need to do to Mm self-heal, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know about these words, but I think there's still stigma attached to mental health issues or going to therapy, talk therapy, cognitive therapy, like even medicinal therapy, right? Oh, there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with me or... So I think there's that aspect. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I think social media itself has created... Uh, I think such a disconnect mm. that I find that, like, when you talk about anxiety, I have found that for young people, their anxiety is greater than I've ever experienced. You know what I mean? Because I do think we're hardwired to phones. And if you're constantly comparing yourself and then reading horrible news stories about everything that's going wrong in the world, as you said, your lymphatic system is constantly going to be on like
2: high alert. High alert.
1: Yeah. Your adrenals are shot. Uh-huh. You're in con- your f- flight fight or, or uh, freeze mode. You know what I mean? Yes. So I don't know. It's been, it's interesting to navigate around a lot of these things as a teacher and a director.
2: So interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's a better language, but are the coping skills?
1: Uh-huh. Less yeah, that's, developed? The, that's right. In a way. You know, it's like, I can't really tell actors in class, like, I think, because actors are always finding the therapeuticness of the catharticness of of what we do, which ab- ab- absolutely, and I'm always talking about these kind of things. So I'm always erring more on the side of talking about our, our wellness, right, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis acting, because you're, you're not your best when you're a mess psychologically mm. in the work, right? Mm-hmm. That's been proven. Like we're, we're at our best when we're in joy and creating from, you know, that open space. But I, I do, I do think it's interesting how I want people to go to therapy, but I can't say you should go to therapy. Class is not therapy.
2: Right. Acting
1: class, acting class is acting class where it has a th- therapeutic aspect because it's, it's the most ancient storytelling device known to humanity. We've been telling yeah. stories forever. So it's naturally going to be cathartic, but there are certain, I am not a qualified practitioner to help you through assault and mm-hmm. incest. And you know what I mean? I'm just coming up with lots of the scenes yeah. we may be working on, talk about that stuff. But one's own triggering around that, I think really we need more assistance. And I think mm-hmm. people need to, yeah, therapy is one one avenue. You know what I mean? Wow. 100%. I think it's like what you talk about. It's like the fear of something is always greater than what it really is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? hmm hmm I went back to therapy a couple years. Of- yeah. Go oh ahead. you did.
2: Sorry. No, no, no. I went to how was conf- your therapy? I went back to
1: Oh, well, it's good. I went back when I turned 50, which was three years ago. Yay. You know what I mean?
2: Nice work. But
1: it's been good, yeah. And I'm and and then I took a little break during COVID because I had other fires to put out, and I was like, I gotta like save the schools, and like mm-hmm. um, but you know, it is always the fear of what we think we have to face isn't nearly as great as what we face.
2: That's interesting. It's so true. Always true. But you did it,
1: Taryn, you are an example or exemplary of it because you, like other cancer survivors, okay, you got a diagnosis of cancer. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through chemo or radiation or how am I going to? And you just do day by day, moment by moment, session by session. And then you realize looking back, oh, I faced, I bet the fear of it was worse than maybe. 100%
2: no you you have to stay present you cannot get stuck in the fear you'll just drown in the fear and that's where meditation and philosophy and all of that is so good and breathing just being in the moment what you teach in the (laughs) present moment
1: pretty amazing
2: I know and and interesting if people sorry go ahead Go ahead. No, no. I just, I just had a thought. It would be interesting to see if people who are highly anxious people, because they tend to be lost in thought and focusing either on the past or the future. That is kind of like the core state of anxiety. And I'd be really interested to know if they improve a lot as actors when they start taking up mindfulness.
1: Of course they would. Yeah. Of course. Because the thing is, is you mentioned some of these things already, like, uh, what i find what i teach in, in, in uh, what we teach at our schools these principles are so simple and they've been with us since the beginning of mankind right like breathing
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> we
1: oh, we underestimate how powerful mindfully breathing how that creates space drops us in gets us present, moves anxiety away. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the things that I teach are really quite simple and they're all part of our DNA, but then we, we make it be about so many other things because of the monkey mind, you know? Mm. So I think it's, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I'm really hopeful that we're getting it as a culture. And other times I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think <laughs> you're in other spheres of it what do you I, think?
2: I go back and forth I, I I feel a bit like you a realist in a lot of ways um who I, I I mean I still find it incredibly important to have a vision for optimism and and the future but it also just depends on what kinds of things I'm reading and taking in and mm. you know it's very easy to get down um yeah by reading the media. And so I, I I am selective. I mean, I think the, I think working around scientists and engineers a lot is actually fueled a lot of my optimism. Cause I'm like, Oh, these are really smart people working on really hard problems and thank God for them. And, um, and so I think that's given me more cause for optimism, but if I just turn on the news and look at like, you know, what the local politician is saying about this and that and the other, I just like, Oh my God, I can't no yeah.
1: yeah yeah
2: i lose i lose all hope or even yeah. just like having to go to the dmv to get a you know license to renewal and you're like i have no hope for humanity no
1: the dmv would be let's start there let's rebuild the dmv from ground up if we, we just go. could do that things would be solved like, that's hilarious it's
0: things
1: so true right oh my god yeah. dmv so what was your documentary about
2: I Am Human was the story of the world's first cyborgs. So we followed a woman with Parkinson's, a blind man and a tetraplegic who all get implantable brain interfaces in hopes to restore their function. Like implantable brain computer interfaces. So a chip implanted in their brain that connects to electrodes, which are basically these little stimulating devices and, um, you know, each one sort of had a different, different kind of procedure and, and surgical insertion, in, different implantable device, so to speak. But, um, you know, we, we follow them in their, their respective stories. And um, I think, you know, we, we also look at the broader implications of this technology that, that very well could alter what it means to be human. If you can put something mm-hmm. in someone's brain and you can restore mobility, or remove parkinson's tremors or remove you know remove it. like insomnia is a huge huge issue for parkinson's patients and you can stimulate their brain in the right pattern you can actually get ameliorate all these symptoms you can bring back vision to someone who hasn't seen in you know years and you can also stimulate personality changes you can induce uh feelings of euphoria and joy and so it starts to mm. raise all of these very important questions around well, what, what is this technology? Um, how fast is it coming on the scene? How do we feel about it? And what happens when people start to do elective surgeries to you know, alter their brains in ways that they find advantageous? Um, Whoa. Yeah. So, so I, it has yeah. adds- the story mm-hmm. of the next, basically, the story of the next evolution of humanity, but it's here. It's just. Uh-huh. Happening very slowly,
1: so it has both medical but ethical implications, right? Like, yes, wow. And were the the people were benefited though from having the chip? Oh yeah,
2: oh yeah. I mean, uh, you get you go on this really beautiful journey with each of the patients, uh, and I think I mean that was the whole point of the storytelling of that story was like, look, yeah, we have all these black mirror stories, and we're not going to shy away from the important questions and conversations that need to happen, but also. let you decide for yourself how you feel about it by stepping into the shoes of three people who desperately need it. Um, it. Yeah, and, and you start to then look at all kinds of, um, ways that humans have already, we, we already augment ourselves in all kinds of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just that we're, we're accustomed to things like contact lenses. So that's not, that's not ethically strange or moral to us. Um, suddenly putting something in the brain, you know, or even pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, you could argue mm. that those are, people are very supportive of, of those things and that's really no different than carpet bombing the brain with something chemical. Um, so is putting an electrode in there and stimulating electrical signaling between neurons, is that, is that any different? Right. So it's, uh, it was a really fun project to work on because it was really juicy and really like complicated and complex and I just loved it.
1: Wow. I was also going to say, like, for me, like, we also are affected by, um, uh, I don't know, digital speak, but like, on Instagram or Netflix, like the logarithm that is making us watch things that knows what we want to watch, even if I don't know what I want to watch, because I happen to have watched one other thing that's like that. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the whole, I don't know if you've seen the the documentary, um Oh God, I watched it early on during COVID, but, but basically about sort of the, you know, the intent of a lot of these, um, the tech companies that build the software that has the sort of addictive gene embedded in it. I know what you're talking
2: about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they don't even let their kids, none of these tech people let their kids be on phones, which I think is funny. Like. They're like, oh, it's okay if all of our neighbors and our friends' kids have phones and leads to all these kinds of problems. But my own kids, because I'm aware of the problems, they're not going to be on a phone until they're adults. You know, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very fascinating time.
0: It's wild. Where,
1: where is your, where can we see your movie?
2: You can find it on Amazon or Apple TV. And then also okay, uh, awesome. Discovery Plus.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And so- and then, so tell us, are you like, what's next? Are you wanting to produce more docudrama kind of stuff? Like, where's your heart taking you now?
2: I really enjoyed working on the documentary. I love going deep into a subject matter that's really interesting. So I've basically been splitting my time in two different ways. Um, half my time is spent consulting for tech companies uh, mm-hmm. you know, in these various spaces and helping them with their storytelling strategy. And then the other half of my time is spent developing projects that incorporate the companies or individuals that I've developed relationships with in this space. So I have um, one series in development. Or actually, I have two, two different uh, projects in f- pretty early development, but with um, two world-class production companies and directors that I deeply respect and I'm I'm producing those. So I'm excited to see, hopefully we can get one off the ground, but you know how it is. Yeah. Um, and so I've ta- I'm taking a backseat on the directing thing for a little bit. I really just want to focus on producing and like shipping ideas out to the world. And um, and yeah, the, direct- the work of a director is like, whew. I mean, I would love to do it again at some point when I have the energy, but for now I'm like, it's insane. It's the, you know, the whole yeah. project falls on your shoulders and yeah. So th- that was a really tough thing for me for the I Am Human film.
1: Wow. Well, I'm excited to see it.
2: Yeah, I'm excited for you to see it. And please let me know what you think.
1: I will. I mean, I don't know a lot about that world at all. But I mean, it's really fascinating. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit obsessed with Elon Musk, but not for the reason everybody else is obsessed, oh. but like... I have a lot of like, you know, he was, I thought it was interesting because I was getting into a debate with someone because I had heard he's trying to upload his consciousness onto. Did you hear about this?
2: I mean, I know that he, he hopes to be able to upload his consciousness. I know that we're no, nowhere near that. <laughs> technology yeah. yet.
1: But, but I, I, to me, it it made me start thinking about what is the question of consciousness? Like consciousness mm-hmm. isn't, personality. It's not the ego. Mm -hmm. So what is he uploading? Is he uploading his own personality for his own Mm -hmm. mortality? Because Mm. consciousness is not local. I mean, I am Tony in my body, but is my awareness just encased in the consciousness of Tony? Mm -hmm. Or is it, it begs the question, or is it in the trees and in the stars? And and you know what I mean? So I find it, is it more of him trying to cheat death? Is that why he's doing, and I'm not judging it. I just find it to be a very I guess he was on clubhouse and I mean, he's genius, obviously. So I'm like, but I wanted to raise my hand, please. I wouldn't have been called on. And I wasn't in that clubhouse. There was like 5,000 people, but I wanted to be like, uh, Elon, do you mean uploading like, I don't know, universal consciousness or, okay. you know, which consciousness are you talking about? Cause it sounds more like you're trying to upload a clone of Elon mm-hmm. Musk. Right. So I find it I find it all really fascinating, right? But
2: It is fascinating. All the crazy questions that arise from from all of this. So, well, you know, for sure
1: in my dark days when I feel like everything is like falling apart very quickly, I also tell me if you ever think this, I also weirdly have some sort of satisfaction in if you think about evolution as badly as it human beings have made it. Also, it feels like whatever happens is the just evolutionary next step. So, mm-hmm. it's all, if it's all right. supposed to collapse and AI is taking over, totally. that's the next thing. You know oh,
2: 100%. That's, that's actually where I go with it. It's like, you know what? Whatever uh, yeah. is meant to happen happens. I, I do take a more yeah. Buddhist approach to it. Like, it's neither good nor bad. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if humans aren't on this planet anymore. And then there, yeah, we
1: won't well know. Other species yeah.
2: are flourishing. And that's right. Yeah, whatever. I just no judgment about any of it.
1: (laughs) Right. And we don't even know the wheel of evolution. Maybe that is we don't know what the apex is. Like human beings Mm -hmm. think human beings are the ultimate being. But maybe right. it is AI and maybe AI, I don't know, an AI machine rusts and it falls into dust and then the dust becomes plankton and the plankton in the sea become little fish and then the fish become frogs and then frogs turn into mammals. And, and then here we go again on the cycle. You know what I mean? Everybody's Beautiful. gonna be like, are you high on this podcast?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Anthony. But that's
1: it. evolution. We yes. We originated, sorry for religious people, but it's science. We originated from the sea.
2: Yeah. yeah. There
1: were it's true. Fish who create, were bipedal and they crawled out and
2: had <laughs> developed ones. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. Giving everybody an anthropological lesson, paleontological lesson. And then they evolved into where we are now. So sometimes I don't know, Taryn, I find coming back to what we talked about, the history or the the yeah, like the evolutionary line of where we come from. Oh, I'm just a little piece of plankton. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I like in more that. human terms, th- I, who, who was it? I, I remember reading and I just love this quote and I say it to like, oh, hi, I'm a nobody. You're a nobody too. <laughs> Meaning in the big scheme of things, right? Who are we? Once we take our titles away and our money and our things, we're all just dust. What? Yeah. It's good to know that we're all nobodies. <laughs> it it also then freeze because you're like, if I'm a nobody, then I can do whatever I need to do. I can make something and not worry about if it's a failure. I can create. I cannot judge myself so much. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I agree, so, Ms. Mendel.
1: Yeah. Taryn, it's so amazing to see you. You're one of the great ones.
2: Oh, you're so sweet. You really I feel are. the same about you. Thank you for having I've, me on. I've always I've always been a
1: fan. You know that. Okay, let me do the speed round with you really quick, but I could okay. talk to you forever because Perfect. I think this was one of my favorite podcasts. I mean, I love Aww. all my podcasts. Don't get me wrong, but we definitely, you're a very smart, insightful person. And I'm so glad you are healthy and you're recovered and you're bringing your light into the world. Write your book.
2: Thank you. It's happening. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Okay. So if you weren't, well, I, <laughs> I always ask, my is on my podcast if you weren't an actor what would you be so okay if you weren't doing what you're currently doing what would you be
2: um oh um author <laughs> which is kind of oh, what wow. i'm doing okay. but yeah yeah kind of. I write okay. books
1: okay good what's your favorite movie or favorite movie of all time
2: um inception
1: oh wow
2: i think okay right? is that am i I'll getting get that. right I leonardo dicaprio
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Marion Cotard. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Love that. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, Elliot Page. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That deals with all the things you're kind of obsessed with in a way. It, it, right? it does.
2: It was such a mind bending movie. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What's something you can't do without?
2: Uh, my cat Tiggy and margaritas.
1: Oh, uh, I haven't had a margarita in forever.
2: <laughs> Good for you.
1: Celebrity COVID increased well. my
2: alcohol intake. <laughs>
1: Did yeah? Well, you had a reason. You were going through chemo. <laughs> My God, I
2: didn't drink during chemo. I did not oh, drink during chemo or radiation. But once those is were that done,
1: promoting? you're not allowed to. You just that, don't want it. Be a lot that of- is the last oh, thing exactly. you
2: want in your body. Yeah, you're just your body's like absolutely not.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, who's your celebrity crush? Can be male oh, or female.
2: Um, oh, uh, Halsey.
1: Oh, the singer. Wait. Yeah, yeah singer. the singer.
2: Yeah.
1: Ooh, what would be advice for your younger self?
2: Oh, just take a deep breath, honey. <laughs> Maybe three deep breaths. It.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> every day.
2: Every every hour.
1: <laughs> yeah, every hour as needed. Take as needed. What scares you the most?
2: Mm. Scares me the most. Uh, unintentionally hurting someone.
1: Oh. I know that's mm-hmm. a good one. I mean, not a good one, but that's, your are right. Ugh.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but I think also Taryn, when we're out in the world and trying to do good things, it's inevitable at, at some level, right? Like sometimes yeah. it does happen, but being more mindful of it. So we do it less, but yeah, that's, that's something that I often think about too. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Um, how would you describe, I know you're not acting anymore, but it's good to hear your perspective on it. How would you describe acting in one word?
2: Uh, Presence.
1: Yes. What's something you learned from studying with me?
2: Ooh, I mean, I think that sort of goes to what I was saying. You were very, um, very good at at keeping us as present as possible Mm -hmm. in our scene work. And um, that's why y'all were so good. Stripping (laughs) away the performative um, instincts.
1: Oh, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still doing that even today. I did that today. <laughs> and, and then what last question, what's your definition of love?
2: Oh, um, un- an unconditional energetic union of support and appreciation and gratitude.
1: Oh. I always say, and I end with my definition of love is just this moment right now.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. uh, I really do
1: love you. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for being here. Glad
2: to see you.
1: And where can people follow your inspiring stories and work?
2: I I stay most up to date with Instagram. Outside of that, I don't really do a whole lot on social media or YouTube anymore, but I do post everything that I'm working on and doing and.
1: And it's uh, Taryn, engaging, just
2: uh, Taryn Southern? Just Taryn Southern on Instagram. Yeah. yeah so follow okay. me there.
1: Okay. And, and the name of your movie again, so we I can watch human. it? I Am Human. I Am human, human on Amazon and Apple Plus.
2: Yep. And you can go to IamHumanFilm.com for the links to all the places you can find the movie.
1: Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks, Taryn.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to In The Moment. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us at Anthony Mindel and at AMAW Studios, plus all the worldwide accounts near you, for more.
1: Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice, and hopefully book the fucking job.